Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. In recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is Bo Snurdly, official Barack Obama criticizer for the EIB Network, certified black enough to criticize with a heavy dose of pure, unadulterated, organic slave blood. Yes, and we welcome the aforementioned James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Bob, I'm great. You pulled out all the stops, Bob. Really? The Obama (laughs) criticizer? That's awesome, man. Thank you. Well, you know what? People are excited and tingly. That that you're speaking to us here in Northeast Pennsylvania at the same time slot that you and Rush Limbaugh brought us so much joy and so much knowledge and information over 30 years time. Yeah, you know, and this has been a year, as you know, it's coming up on the one year anniversary since uh, since Rush passed. And I'll tell you, it is every day, Bob, every single day I hear from somebody whether it's on one of the social media platforms or whatever, that's telling me how much they miss Rush, what an impact he had on their lives. And, in fact, I read one this morning that said the person was complaining about feeling scattered because he doesn't know where his true north is anymore politically. Yeah. And it's just amazing the impact that Rush had on with with people, great people, from around this country for so many years. Now, you spent... 30 years, you were there pretty much from the beginning of Russia's syndication. And it had to be, well, as I read your book, my kids happened to give me your book for Christmas. And as you read through it, it's just, it's, they're tremendous and in-depth anecdotes and stories about it, about the Rush Limbaugh show that you were an integral part of. I mean, there's nobody that, that, that listened to Rush that didn't know who Bo Snurdly is. So let me ask this question. Where did you get that? nom de plume 
uh, of Bo Snurdly, uh, as you know, was it from the very beginning? Well, there were always Snurdlies, but no one remembers the other two because <laughs> I was there for so long. Okay. So, so the first Snurdly was Marva Snurdly, who was a liberal gal who didn't want her friends to know that she worked on a conservative radio show. <laughs> so Rush called her Marva Snurdly. Then came Mervin. He stayed a short while. First day I'm working. Now, I met Rush the very first day he came into the ABC building in New York. But I didn't work on the show immediately. When I was rotated on the show, uh, my first day there, um, I, I just dropped off some news stories for when I was in the studio. Um, and, and I, you know, dropped off. Rush and I had had a friendly relationship before I began working with him. So anyway, I come in the studio, drop off some stories, and he looks up and he says, uh, well, you know you have to be a snurly, right? And, and I hadn't thought about it. Um, he says, so which snurly do you want to be? I looked down on his desk. Back in those days, for the millennials, we had this antique thing called newspapers. <laughs> we actually used to print stories on paper, large sheets of paper. And on the back of the New York Daily News was uh, a headline about Bo Jackson doing something or another. I saw the name Bo, and it just said, I have to quit Bo. Little did I know, 30 years later, Right, <laughs> it still would be both early, <laughs> but it's all great, and I'm loving it. And so, you know, that's that's how it happened. Well, the book is Rush on the Radio by James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, with a nice picture of you on the front, a nice picture of Rush as well. T tell us, I mean, what was it like going to work every day, knowing, at least from my perspective, knowing, and I think you did know this, what a tremendous influence your job, your work, was going to have on everyday Americans. It, Bob, that's a real interesting question. Now, but I'm going to be honest, in the early days, it was fun, but sometimes it was stressful. Because now you remember, those early days when those attacks started, those mean-spirited, horrible attacks from the left, that were lying, you know, accusing Russia of being all sorts of negative, horrible things, I think it was new for all of us. And so those weren't, those were, some of those days were not fun days. Not that the show wasn't fun. It was just the level of stress that was involved. But I'll tell you what, the more the show went on, it, it when you do something for 30 years, it had better be fun. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it's, and let me tell you something, it was fun. And, but I'm a radio guy, just like I'm, I'm assuming you are. What is there not to love about having a job in radio where you have a show and where you know that show is having an impact on people? It is, it is the dream job for so many people. And those of us in this business that have had success with it are just lucky enough to have that kind of job we, that we don't have to hate going to work every day. In fact, we can love it. Now, so you started off as what specifically? Like, what was your initial duties, and what did they evolve into? Well, you, you mean with the show? Yes. Now, with the show, I started off um, doing call screening, and eventually I started producing the show when Rush was away. There was a certain host, I won't give his name, who decided he wanted to read MacArthur's speech on the air one day when Rush was away. Now, at the end of World War, at the end of, in the Truman administration, that was all well and good. 
But all these years later, with an audience that's not connecting, number one, to General MacArthur or the speech, it was one of the most boring, deadly things I had ever heard on radio in my life. <laughs> so I went to the then management and said, look, Somebody's got to produce this show when Rush is not here so we don't have this kind of stuff. And that turned out to be me. Mm -hmm. Rush never needed a producer. He was Mr. Radio himself. He, This man, show prep every day. He'd leave work within an hour. If you were still there, you could hear his printer going off with show prep stuff for the next day. Um, but but when, you, when he was away, the show needed a producer. So I produced the show um, when he was away. I still worked with call screening. I did work with the Limbaugh letter. And, you know, I did various and other things in terms of, uh, especially after we lost our chief of staff, Kit Carson. Uh, all of us tried to absorb some of his duties, interacting with the press and all that kind of stuff. What are uh, We're talking with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, from the Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, and, and now, uh, afternoon drive host on WABC, the biggest radio station in the country. Uh, so at, how is that show going, by the way? That show's going very well. I'm on six days a week. They won't let me stop the Saturday show because it's, that's what I started with because it's doing so well. This is a return engagement for me at WABC. I was the uh, very last music director at WABC and their first uh, producer of talk shows. I walked out of one studio producing music, walked into another producing news talk, as it were. Um, and so, and, and much later... I was working on the weekends uh, doing an air shift for them on both days of the uh, weekends. So I have gone back home in terms of radio to a place that I just have been in love with my whole life, WABC in New York, and it's just been phenomenal. Tell us a couple of, uh, I guess, your favorite stories or anecdotes about Rush and the show and, and your relationship. Well, with my relationship, you know, there's just so many. It's hard to 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 to, to get one. One of my favorites that that I put in the book doesn't concern me. It concerns our engineer Brian Johnson, who is just. I mean, if you can picture a guy that looks like Clark Kent, that's Brian, and he has just the wonderful personality. He helped uh, build the studios. He comes from a family of radio, so he's another one. So one day in the studio. Brian takes the call. There's a call coming in. Rush, he sits opposite from Rush from the moment Rush gets there. Rush's office was the studio. He used his studio as an office. And Brian would, would be in the control room the whole time Rush was in there. Phone rings. Phone rings. It's voice on the phone says, hi, I'm Elton John. Brian is like, yeah, right, sure you are. <laughs> um, and the guy says, well, no, no, this is Elton John. I'm calling for Rush. Brian's like, okay, yeah, sure you are. He says, look, you want me to sing for you? I'll sing for you. <laughs> so Brian says, all right, all right, hold on. He goes into Rush and says, Rush, look, I'm sorry to bother you. There's some guy on the phone claiming to be Elton John. <laughs> Rush looks up at Brian like, have you lost your mind? He says, well, Brian, it probably is Elton John. Put him through. And it was just, you know, the, the disbelief. These are the kind of things that can happen in there any day. Yeah. By the way, now Elton wasn't a conservative. He was, this was when, um, I guess, the, the lead up to Rush's wedding, because Elton ended up being the star performer at that incredible wedding. But you would be surprised, Bob, the number of people from either the Hollywood community or other walks of entertainment life 
who would call Rush, who and the and the conversations had to remain confidential because they were afraid if they ever publicly went forward with their support for Rush and what he was doing on the show, they'd lose their entire standing in their careers. <laughs> and it, 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 it's sad, but it was a truth you had to deal with all the time. Now, at some point, uh, you were named, and I don't know if this is an official title or if it was sarcastic or what it was, Program uh, Observer. And You know, that about because I would often interact with Russ, and like he would, if he were trying to remember something that he had said on a previous show, usually I was Johnny on the spot. I could tell him, "This is what you said. This is what you said." And so after a while, it became Mr. Snurley. You are, you observed this program as well as screening for it. So he would just call me the official program observer, and then ask me questions. And most of the time, I have to say, my memory was pretty good at recalling things that he had said or events that happened with the program. Your interactions with him on the air were primarily one way. At least uh, you might have been speaking into his ear, uh, but we're not speaking on the air for the most part. Uh, that was I th that was a fascinating dynamic to the show. Yeah, and he used to say all the time, "Thank goodness you can't people you people can't hear what's being said to me." <laughs> and and by the way absolutely right sometimes because sometimes the language wasn't appropriate for radio especially when i was angry about something <laughs> and other times it was too risque for where he had the program <laughs> i mean we had so much fun yeah. laughing and and but here's the thing i could ask him anything and i did i asked him about if, if i didn't agree with something he said or i was skeptical about it i was free to get on the ifb and ask him like rush are you sure about that Russ, can you explain that to people? And he always welcomed that. It was part of an amazing dialogue that the two of us had politically, um, and, and not just about politically, but about social and cultural issues as well. He was so open to having his ideas challenged if, if you thought that he might be wrong about something, because nine times out of ten, it ended up that his further explanation just drove home the reasoning behind what he had said. We're talking with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly from the Rush Limbaugh Show. His new book is Rush on the Radio. Now, in, in relation to that, uh, you had some challenging times when Rush lost his hearing, when he had that uh, prescription medication problem. Tell us a little bit about those two situations and, and how you dealt with them. The prescription medication situation, I have a lot of had a lot of empathy for because I understood the origins of it. You know, we during the show there were times when I remember when it started. Rush was out on the West Coast, he was doing the show on an affiliate, and he was in so much agony that he had to stand the entire show because he couldn't sit. It actually was herniated disc in his back. He ended up having back surgery. The back surgery and how many people know this story? the back surgery wasn't successful. Mm. How many people have that story? Yeah. And so you're left with this excruciating pain, and what do you do? You medicate it. Nobody in America at the time, nobody understood how dangerous opiates were. Doctors would give them to relieve the pain, and we had millions of Americans who found themselves dealing with the problem. Here's what the big takeaway from that is. <clears throat> when Rush admitted it had become a problem, he sought help. When he sought help, he was committed to the help. 
after he got the help, he never relapsed. And that is pretty amazing because normally it takes people multiple times to come off an addiction so powerful. It was just, it was incredible. So I looked at that as kind of a learning experience for him. In fact, I interviewed him about it in the Limbaugh letter, and he um, and he went deeper into it as to why he thought that it happened. And so it, it turned out to be something that, again, he was open with. Now, the loss of hearing, to me, that brought out the best of Rush as a broadcaster. He did things totally deaf before the cochlear implant that required split-second timing that only a radio professional could do if he had his hearing. Rush did them without, he did them totally deaf. Unbelievable. And now think about this. Rush Limbaugh um, was the host of the most successful radio program, totally deaf, for a lot longer than it ended up that he had his hearing. He did that show deaf for almost 20 years. And it was, and mm. the show continued to grow up until the time of his passing. Now, tell us, let's let's go to that, uh, James. You found out at some point, and, and tell us how you found out that uh, Rush had a terminal disease. We got called into a meeting. Now, we so rarely had meetings, maybe once, and that was when he announced that he was going in for treatment, that we had a company-wide meeting of everybody on his staff. Um, so we knew something was wrong. I, I, I got the call on my way to work, and I got butterflies in my stomach immediately. Knew something was wrong. Um, <clears throat> most of the staff was on a conference line because we're dispersed. We have staff in New York. We have staff in various other states. Um, so <clears throat> we were down here. Those of us down here were in our media room, which was in the back of our complex. Rush came in, matter of a factly, and told us that he had had um, some news from the doctor. He told us exactly what it was, uh, lung cancer, advanced lung cancer. And he immediately <clears throat> apologized to us, which blew my mind. And I just remember letting out an involuntary scream. I couldn't help myself. No, you shouldn't be apologizing to us. I mean, and that still blows my mind. Yeah. Here he is. On, on what had to be one of the worst days of his life, telling his staff, look, this is going to end and it's not going to end well. And he's telling us that he feels like he let us down after all that he had done for all of us. And so it was a really horrible day. Um, I walked into the studio after he went back, after he uh, made the announcement in full. He turned around, walked back, and did show prep. We had a show to do. <clears throat> I walked back into the studio with him. No, shortly after he walked in, and I gave him a big hug, told him I loved him, and 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 that he was going to be able to beat this thing. You know, I had been dealing with cancer myself, um, unbeknownst to most people, because I didn't I didn't stop working. This company is just an amazing company. Rush, uh, some executives like Craig Kitchen, um, and and our president Julie Talbert, they were able to. I had to get treatment in Maryland. And they just arranged for me to move there for almost a half a year and to work out of there, and no one knew. I felt confident that Rush was going to beat this. And I'll tell you what, right up until the very end, I thought that there would be some miracle intercession and that he would be able to beat it. Well, through the help of um, my executive producer and obviously my producer, Jake, that you spoke to, Mr. Paul, uh, we did a tribute to Rush. 
on the his last day on the air. And obviously we'll do something uh, to, to commemorate his passing. But it was an extraordinary, it had to be an extraordinary year and a difficult one to watch essentially this courageous man uh, die in front of you while he still performed uh, at an incredibly high level. His performances during the last year of his life were some of the most incredible. And let me tell you something, and they were also some of the most sad for me because during the show, he had so much energy. If you listened, you could not tell there was a thing wrong. After the show, sometimes Rush didn't have enough energy to move. He it just drained him completely. That was very sad to see. Um, and it was very sad to see the process in a way of, you know, that happens when you have uh, that kind of a disease, the weight loss, the gaunt look that comes sometimes, and, and the frailness that comes with some of it. So, it was, yes, it was very difficult. But at the same time, it's very inspiring because Rush never stopped. He gave it all. He didn't leave anything on the table. Every single day that Rush was not in treatment or that Rush was not dealing with the effects of treatment, he was at work. And when he was at work, he gave it 100%. What incredible courage that man had. Great stuff. Well, the, the book is Rush on the Radio. By James Golden, who is our guest, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly. We really appreciate, and, and since this is one of the first markets he was syndicated to, we have 30-year we have fans of the show that you were such an integral part of. We're honored to have you on. We're pleased that you took the, the time out of your busy day to be with all of us here in Northeast Pennsylvania and really throughout the world on the internet. Uh, just a great pleasure, uh, James. I, I'm, I'd love to have you on again sometime. And I know I'll be listening more than occasionally to your afternoon drive show on WABC. Bob, thank you. You're so gracious and so wonderful. It's my honor to be here. You know, I am like you. I'm a fan. I was a fan. I had a better seat than most people. But Rush was just so unique and so such an incredibly talented man that it just, it, for those of us that do this for a living, you know, there's no, no shame in saying this guy was the greatest at this. Yeah. That of his era, and he truly was. And Bob, thank you. It's an honor to be with you. I'd be glad to come back anytime. All right, James Golden, aka Bo Snerdly, the book "Rush on the Radio." I urge you to get it. It is a great read. You're a great writer, uh, and on top of being a tremendous radio guy, I I can't compliment you enough. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with the weather. A couple people holding through the uh, interview with Bo Snurdly, James Golden. Great pleasure. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.